blessing it is. My name is Carlos Chacon, my wife Mary, my daughter Celeste, she's eight years old. I have another daughter who's 18, Carla, and she is uh, in Bible College in Elgin, Illinois. And so we are called to preach the gospel to the Spanish-speaking countries, and we are targeting very particularly now through a missionary project, the country of Venezuela, which I am I'm traveling to this Wednesday and flying there for the third time. So this is something fairly new. I have been there twice, and I'm excited to share with you what God is doing. Uh, we have been serving mostly in the country of Mexico for the last 20 years or so. I've been in the ministry for 21 years, so I just started going to Venezuela last year. Between Mexico and the United States, we were doing tent evangelism, a lot of tent revivals. I have, I have a thousand seat tent, and that is a ministry that I would do for, for many years, even with the Spanish people in the United States and other countries, not always in the tent, but preaching in the churches and open air outdoor meetings throughout Latin America. And right now, God has given us direction to target and reach this country because of a very unique and particular need that they have and that is that several years ago, in 2008, the American ambassador of the United States was removed from this country, and soon thereafter, all American missionaries cleared out completely, and so there's very, very little or hardly no missionary activity from the United States whatsoever in that country, and so they're, they're locked out, basically, and the reason for this is the political, uh, the political tension that there is, and there are sanctions on that country, and this brings this brings tension, and, and so all of the things that happen just brings a closed door for American missionaries, many who were there, many who started churches and pastored churches and, and built church buildings, and, and many uh, had to leave, and their, their, their visas are not being renewed. They're not allowed to get back in that country, and, uh, but they have had a, a socialism collapse and just uh, with a dictatorship and just all kinds of political unrest, they've had riots, they've had uh, close to civil war and all of these things. It brings about, it creates a domino effect that just changes society. It just changes people's lives. I mean, people lose jobs and all these things happen. And um, the currency or the, the money is manipulated and, and just all of these things happen. It's a, it's a trickling effect that, that uh, happens over there. And so the people are basically in a hopeless situation. This is not a third, third world country that has just always been poor. This is a country that has been very prosperous and very financially you know, wealthy. And, uh, but but these, these policies and things that happened, that they have brought about extreme hunger. We're talking, about, we're talking about people sleeping in gas stations to get in line. I've seen cars, 300 cars in a line for two nights where they have to sleep there in line to get gasoline, or they will not, they will not. Sometimes they even sleep there hoping to make it because the gasoline runs out. See, here is $5 a, a, a gallon, but at least we have it. Over there is $5 a gallon, and, and they, don't, they may not get it if they get in line for two nights. So just had a pastor tell me this this week, said I, I was in line. Unfortunately, I didn't make it, and, and we, so we're going to have to try again, get in line again. And so these things happen over there. They have a stimulus. Uh, in the ATM machines, and that is $2. And we're talking about hundreds of people in line. The reason is, if you have two or three kids, you might get 6 or $8. They have this bag of flour to make a, a dough, like a, not quite a bread, not quite a tortilla, but something crispy, something like a waffle or something, and that's what they eat. So that bag costs a dollar. They figure they can feed a family for about a week with that. So the government tries to be generous and give them $2 per person. And that way they say, well, maybe they can feed their family for a month buying a few of those bags. And so that is, that is the situation they are in. 
People have lost jobs and quit jobs and resigned jobs. People were getting paid $5 a month, school teachers and, and people like that, professional people, so they all resigned. And then, but new jobs are created, of course. The new jobs are strange jobs. We're talking about black market system style type jobs and, and, and just a different, a different way of living. So, you know, society keeps moving. Somehow people keep getting by somehow because of man's survival instinct. But it's a very uncomfortable living conditions and very uncomfortable living situation. Of course, this brings so much corruption and so much crime and, and along with it. And so... This is, this is what Venezuela is now, and uh, there's Russian troops there, been there for years, you know, kind of protecting the dictatorship and so forth, and just all the, all the political unrest. Now, I've been serving in Mexico this, all, for many years, all of this time, and God began to give me direction, and, and last year, just began to move on my heart and, and give me direction to, to do this, and I said... Um, you know, I thought, well, I never thought about going to Venezuela in, in this manner and really targeting that country. I never, had never been there before. Been to other countries. I've been to 11 countries. I have been to Peru and to Chile and other places and, and other, other places uh, in Central America, but never Venezuela. And, but the Lord gave me direction and confirmed it with many different, many different means. And so I'm very excited and God has provided, God has blessed. What I do is I travel and I share this need and the burden and the ministry and, and I raise money and then I go over there and I spend it to have large scale efforts of gospel uh, crusades and evangelistic meetings and pastors conferences and so forth. I, on Wednesday, I fly out and we have a pastors conference Friday and Saturday in a city called Barquisimeto. We, we, we have 50 pastors registered and they bring their people to the conference. So this is something to, to train pastors, to encourage workers and pastors. And uh, the following week on June 4th, if you'll be in prayer for our large scale gospel crusade, which might bring uh, three or four thousand people or so. And uh, so it's, it's a time to preach the gospel to hundreds and thousands of people. This, the living situation creates a tender heart in people's lives. When people become hopeless and helpless, they start turning to God. And so this is a time when the Lord has prepared their hearts. It is ripe and ready uh, for, for a harvest of souls. I want you to take your Bibles, please, with me. Notice the Word of God. Matthew chapter 9, please. Matthew chapter 9. Notice the Word of God in Matthew chapter 9. So glad to be here today. I was in another church uh, this morning, and we'll be leaving to, for Illinois tomorrow so that we can prepare for our traveling. Matthew chapter 9, please notice in the Word of God. And I want you to notice... In the text where it says in verse 36, Matthew 9, 36, notice please. And I'll read the scripture. The Bible says in Matthew 9, 36, 37, and 38, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. So I want to preach tonight about reaping the harvest. Let's bow our heads for prayer, please, with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, thank you so much for this time of preaching of Sunday night church. I pray you bless the message. Give me the power of the Holy Spirit of God and use the, the word of God to edify and build up the church and the saints, Lord. And we thank you. And we pray you speak to our hearts in Jesus name. Amen. Reaping the harvest, the Lord is looking upon the crowds and the multitudes and he has compassion because he sees them scattered abroad. 
And in, in, in like manner, many people in, in these countries and in Venezuela are just scattered abroad and just helpless and hopeless. And just completely with no hope, no hope in any kind of politician, no hope in man, no hope in the news, no hope in nothing. And just, uh, just, just wondering how they're going to make it and how they're going to live, how they're going to survive. And of course, many people are now turning to God and, and, and searching and seeking and so open to the gospel. I want you to see, please, how the Lord said that we should pray that he sends labor. So the harvest is plenteous, but the labors are few. Something interesting about Venezuela is this country was a country with many American missionaries. I think, I think multitudes and tons of American missionaries uh, were in Venezuela because I've seen the churches they built. I have preached in them. I've seen the buildings that they left and, and they built and the pastors that they have trained. Very well-trained pastors, very solid in doctrine and so forth. And so I have seen the pioneer American missionaries, how they, how they were serving in the country of Venezuela, but many have been removed now. All of them had to had to leave, and so that's why. Well, the scripture says the labors are few. So now it's the time for the harvest, and there's no workers. Just a few national pastors that are under resourced and under supported. And I would imagine that many of these American missionaries probably have a broken heart because they wish they can go back. They wish they can go. They miss their churches. They miss their people. They want to help their, uh, their congregations and their mission fields. And maybe they sometimes, in some cases, maybe have to pick a different mission field. Maybe in some cases they return and, 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 and serve the Lord in other capacities. I want you to notice, please, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to notice... A, kind of a, some principles about the harvest that I want to share with you. And, and this is something that I like to share with the churches. And I, I put it this way. The Apostle Paul said something. He said, talking about the mystery that God gave him. He said, I'm going to give it to you uh, like the Lord gave it to me. He said, I give it to you word by the grace of God. I, I, the way the Lord gave it to me or gave it, he said, I, I will give it to you word. That's what he said. He said, I'm just giving you what the Lord gave me. And in like manner, my ministry and this approach and these principles of missions, as I try to, to, to encourage your church about, uh, about the harvest, I give it to you like the Lord gave it to me. I want you to see 1 Corinthians 3, 6. I have planted, Paul said, I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. But God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So planting is referring to, that's something that Paul is referring to we, uh, for, for starting churches. You see, we, that's why we call missionaries, sometimes we call them church planters. They're church planters because they start churches. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, I'm somebody who's like a missionary church planter. He said, I have planted churches. I have started churches. And he said, Apollos watered. Apollos is a different kind of preacher and perhaps more like an evangelist, a revival speaker or something, uh, uh, somebody who waters the plant, refresh the plant and, and uh, help. The Bible talks about the water of the word. So Apollos was somebody fervent in spirit and mighty in the scriptures. So he says, I'm somebody who start churches and Apollos will come and, and encourage them and motivate them and so forth. And the, and the Bible word for that is exhort, exhortation. He said, Apollos is somebody to water the church. And then he says, uh, he that planted this, is, is anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth increase. So it is God that gives the fruit and the results and the increase 
Verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Notice how these are one. They have different functions or different job descriptions, but they are one. Why? Because they are one in spirit. They are one in the Great Commission. They are one in mind and heart. They are one in purpose. They do different things, but in the end, they are working together for an all-encompassing job, an all-encompassing work of God, and that is for the harvest to be reaped. So that's why he says these are one. They're doing a little bit different things, but they're one. And so notice how God, he doesn't reward people according to the fruit or the results because the results come from him. The fruit comes from him. He's saying people are rewarded and preachers and missionaries and so forth according to their labor, according to their faithfulness and their work and so forth. And so we, we notice this. So we see planting and we see watering. I want you to notice how the Lord Jesus said something very similar to this text. And I want you to notice that in John chapter 4. Notice, please, with me, John chapter 4 in the Word of God. So we're talking about reaping the harvest of souls. John chapter 4, notice, please, verse 35. John 4, 35, the Bible says, Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Do you see a distinction between one who sows and one who reaps? See, there we are, there we are again with different functions. There are some who sow the word of God. Some missionaries have been called to a unique mission field where sometimes there is no gospel witness whatsoever. I mean, they might be the first to translate a Bible in that language. They might be the first people to go and, and start the very first church. That is a sowing ministry that God has called them. Sometimes they might even sow the word of God and they might not even see the fruit in their lifetime. Might be a different generation. So, uh, so we see that here, that some are people who sow. And then he says that some will reap. And notice how it says, they both will rejoice together. Why? Because they're working in the same purpose. They're united in spirit. They're united in, in one mind and one heart in the same purpose of the gospel. They're united in, in that same all-encompassing work. That, that work of the harvest. So they rejoice together. And they can pray for each other and so forth. Verse 37. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that wherein you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and you're entered into their labor. So the Lord is kind of giving the, the apostles a lesson. And he's teaching them something. He's saying, listen, the context of this is that they're in Samaria with a great revival. I'm talking about this place was packed out. So many people. The Samaritans came because the woman at the well, she ran, told everybody. They came and heard the Lord Jesus and believed on him. And so we have this great turnout and this great revival of souls saved and a harvest of souls. And the apostles are probably thinking, well, we're pretty good, you know. We're pretty good at, at, at reaching people and so forth. But the Lord is trying to say, you know, actually, you just experienced a reaping ministry, but you entered into the labors of somebody else. Now, I happen to think in the context, I happen to think is referring to John the Baptist, 
because the Bible says that he's somebody who prepared the way uh, of the Lord for the Lord. And so I have, uh, you know, John two and three talks about where John the Baptist was preaching it was only four miles away from Samaria. So somehow, undoubtedly, he was near there. They heard him preach. They went to hear him. But John the Baptist was somebody preparing the way and sowing the ministry, sowing the word of God, a ministry of sowing. And now these apostles came. And of course, God gave the increase because now there's a reaping of the harvest. And the Lord is saying, you know, I want, I want you to know that. He said, sometimes you're going to enter into the labors of others. And you know, that's, that's kind of how, how I feel. I've never started a church in Venezuela. And I've started churches in Rockford, Illinois. I started a Spanish independent Baptist church. That church is still there. I did a church plant. I did a, a two churches in villages in Mexico. Those churches, uh, we started that. And so that was in Mexico. So I've done some Planting and church planting, my ministry has mostly been itinerant, mostly been evangelistic, tent meetings and revivals and so forth. But we see how some people, they will enter into that, into the work and labor of others. So I have never started churches in Venezuela. I've never built a building, never trained the pastor. American missionaries did. They were there first and they were there sowing and watering and planting. And they were there doing all of this missionary activity. And now this situation has come about where they have been removed and, and uh, no longer allowed to return for the time being. It is a closed door with no hope in sight. And this great harvest is, is ready and ripe. And we have the workers, the labors are few. And so God has put a calling on my life in recent days and, and, and direction. God told Elijah, he said, get thee up to Zarephath. He said, I'm going to move you around a little bit. See, we, we were in Mexico and we were traveling. We had our life, you know, kind of a routine of, uh, of traveling in the United States and going to Mexico. And I have two tents, so I keep one in Mexico. I keep one in the United States. So we had a really, you know, established ministry of, of a routine. I have an RV travel trailer and I would use that and keep it at the border. So we kind of were border people and just come and go and all this and stay busy preaching the word of God. And for so many years, that was our ministry. And, and just became comfortable, so to speak, with building our, 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 our circuit, if you will, of ministry, of preaching. We had our circle of friends and all of these things. And God said, I want you to go to Venezuela and start targeting this country. Start preparing, start gearing, and start doing things. And start going there and start... Uh, uh, helping the Venezuelan national pastors. You see, I'm a Mexican citizen. I am a dual citizen. I was born in Illinois, so I'm American, but I became a Mexican citizen. I have Mexican parents. My wife's Me Mexican, and so my children were born in Mexico, so I obtained the Mexican citizenship. That is the reason, and that is how I can enter the country of Venezuela. So I'm able to go. And so if I can go when other people cannot go, how can I not go to this country that is ripe and a ready mission field for the souls of preaching the gospel? So in Mexico, we, you know, we learned the roads, we learned the, the villages, we learned the, the, the churches, everything. You know, I mean, like the back of my hand, all of these things. We learned where to go, where not to go, where the drug cartels are. We learned where the danger could be and how to avoid it. We learned how to talk our way out of uh, abusive uh, state troopers and, and, and people like that, immigration officers. We learned how to talk our way out of that stuff and kind of cross the border and, and make sure that our papers are in line and everything is good. 
We learned all that stuff. I would put gasoline at a gas station and the truck comes to put gas next to me and the, and their drug cartel. And they would have guns and, and young men and, and so forth where in Mexico guns are not allowed. And so when they have guns, that means they're cartel people. If they're not in uniform and all this stuff and just all of this situation, we learned all that. But God said, you know, I was just kind of training you a little bit. I was just kind of preparing you not to be fearful because, you know, Google says do not travel to Venezuela. Advisory level four. Do not go. In fact, if you're there, get out now. That's what Google says. But you know what God says? God says, I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so the Bible teaches us not to not to be fearful. The Bible says, be not afraid of their faces. So I go over there into Venezuela at the airport and I I, I, I go and I just tell them I'm a Mexican person, you know, and I'm just I'm, I have a fishing rod and I tell them I'm going fishing. And I just tell them I'm going fishing. I got my big fishing rod and everything. And, uh, but I, I am because the Bible says the kingdom of God is like a net. And you see, that's the theme of my ministry. The Lord said, Jesus said to the apostle Peter, he said, I want you to put the net in the water. And Peter said, well, we've been fishing all day. We haven't caught nothing. So I'm not sure if we, if we should. You know, the Lord said, do it. Listen, just, just put the nets in the water. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will do it. So he puts the nets in the water. He put the net. If you notice when the, the net break, the Bible says, I'm talking about Jesus did a miracle. It was packed out with so many fish. And Peter feared. He said, forgive me, Lord. And, and, he, and he said, depart from me, for, I, for I'm a sinful man. Why did he fear? You know why? Because Peter only obeyed the Lord partially. He only obeyed halfway. Because the Lord said, put the nets in the water. That's plural. Nets, two or three nets, all of them, put all your nets. And Peter only put one. So it, it, made, it, it made it look like he obeyed just enough to make it look like he obeyed, but he didn't obey completely. So that's why he feared, and that's why he said, boy, I doubt it. He said, I just kind of obeyed just to go through the motions. I just obeyed, you know, but I really didn't believe completely, and I just I didn't want to put the effort to work. Why didn't he obey? Because he didn't believe he was going to catch anything. A lack of faith and lack of obedience and a lack of trust. So he said, Lord, forgive me. And Jesus said to him, you know, they, they're talking about they called another boat to help them and the, the net break, all these fishes. And the Bible says, the Lord Jesus said, you know, he forgave him. And he said, listen, Peter, from henceforth, thou shalt catch men. He said, you know why? Because he's saying, in this manner, in this style, in this, in this manner, I want you to be a soul winner. I want you to catch men. I want you to cast nets. I want you to preach the gospel to hundreds and thousands and multitudes of people. In this manner, you're going to be a fisher of men. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And so you see, whichever way we put it, if we talk about the harvest field, if we talk about fishers of men, it's the same principle. It's the same. It's all talking about the Great Commission. It's all talking about reaching souls. So we see, so the Lord says, He talks about people entering into the, into the labors. You know, if we do not reap the harvest, it makes the sowing meaningless. If we do not go in there and finish the job, it makes the planting, the sowing, the watering, makes it meaningless. 
Why would we go to other countries and start sowing and, and planting and doing all these things when we have mission fields that are some, in some cases they are a harvest mission field, ripe and ready. And the Lord said, pray for laborers there, to go there, to send laborers to the harvest. We know the field is the world. Every, every place uh, needs, needs the gospel, so every place has a need. Even right here in the United States has a great need for the gospel. So every place has a need. And some people need, need to go because they might have a sowing ministry. Maybe somebody who's a missionary, maybe in Afghanistan right now, maybe, maybe it's not allowed to preach the gospel. Well, they might, have, they might have a sowing ministry. Very, very, you know, kind of a low-key, you know, kind of a, a ministry of just witnessing to people kind of secretly and so forth. Maybe in China, places like that. Might, that might be a sowing ministry. But in the future, there might be a situation where there comes a great revival. And of course, that's in the Lord's timing, and He gives the increase. And this is the saying that is true. It says, one soweth and another reapeth. We don't know. We send missionaries to China and all this stuff. One day there might be a Chinese evangelist that will have revivals over there in China. We, we don't know. You see, God works in these different ways. And, and, uh, but He wants us to be obedient to fulfill the Great Commission. I want you to notice a text, another verse, please. I want you to notice Matthew in Chapter 20, please. I want you to see this parable in Matthew and chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. So we're talking about the harvest field and, and the, the work of the field. Notice, please, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 4. I want you to see, the scripture says, And said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. They went their way. And he, and he went out about in sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? Now I want you to notice, in verse 4, and verse 5, and 6, he didn't say that. Or, you know, in the previous verses, 4 and 5, he didn't say why stand ye out? He just said, hey, no, uh, you know, I'll give you a job. Come with me. I'll give you whatsoever is right. But here in verse 6, when it's the 11th hour, in other words, it's the last hour. He's saying, what are you doing standing around for? <laughs> Why stand ye out? It was, like, it was like a rebuke. He's saying, listen, don't you know, there's a job that's got to get done. And we need you. We need every man, especially right now in the last hour. Verse 7, they say unto him, because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. The Bible talks about when the Lord began to pay them. You know the story about how the Lord paid them all the same. And the, those who had been working since the, the, the early, you know, start of the morning, and the hot sun, and all this they were paid the same as those that came at the last hour. And they said, Lord, how come you made them equal like unto us? We've been in the hot sun all day working. And these individuals who came at the last hour, you paid them the same as us. The Lord said, hey, I do thee no wrong. You know, the Lord said, is thy nine evil because I am good and so forth. You know, the Lord places the value not in somebody's hourly wage and the time of somebody. He places the value in the all-encompassing work. He's saying, listen, if, if these men did not come at the 11th hour, at the last hour to help you finish the job, 
all that, all that work in the hot sun all day, maybe it could be meaningless. So you should be thankful that they showed up and they came to help you finish the job. And so don't complain about, about how much I pay them and I pay you. We should pay everybody the same because the Lord is happy. He's, he, he, he's, he, he's saying, he's satisfied. He's saying, I'm glad that the work got done for that day. The work was finished and it makes it worthwhile, meaningful. But if we're just sowing and planting and sowing and planting and we're not reaping the harvest of souls in the United States right here, it's not our, our culture and history and church history and American history. Is it not filled with, with big citywide revivals and big crusades and big uh, 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 church services and thousands of people and hundreds of people? Is that not part of our American history and American culture? Of course it is. And we can see a great harvest of souls that influence society, influence culture, influence even, even the laws and so forth. Revivals, that's what we need. We need to see revival. And that's, that's why it's, it talks about the harvest of souls. Now Venezuela is in that condition. It's the Lord who's doing this. So I went to Venezuela in August. And I, I began to pray about where can I go, and I knew the Lord was leading me, giving me direction to go somewhere. And I had kind of, you know, a lot of people, a lot of evangelists go to the Philippines, and, and, I, and I kind of said, I've been in the Spanish world so long, let me go do something, let me preach in English or go somewhere else. And I kind of was praying about the Philippines, and one pastor said, do you have any, do you have any places you want to go, you know, besides Spanish world, or besides Mexico? And I said, well, I'm praying about the Philippines. And he said, talk about it tonight in, the, in this church service. And I, and I thought it was premature. I said, well, I, I've never really been there. I don't even have a video for it. I, I haven't even talked to my pastor about it. So I, I, thought, I kind of thought it was premature. And he said, no, don't worry, just talk about it. So I talked about it. I said, folks, pray for me. I'd like to go to the Philippines someday and preach. Preach the word of God, preach the gospel. And that little Spanish church in Texas raised $5,000 in that service. And God... Use that to be a sign unto me that says, I'm going to provide for the harvest. Of course, as everything developed, I said, well, this money and this offering, we have to go and preach to the Philippines. And just, just then, all these pandemic things happened and the and, uh, Philippines was closed. And so I began to see and say, well, I want, well, the Lord provided, you know, he provided something for, you know, I got to go somewhere. And I had my house in Mexico, and I had a Venezuela young man. See, there's a Bible college there, and I'm one of the, I was one of the teachers. So I hire students to take care of my house and to house it when I travel. So the young man I hired, he came to study from Venezuela, and he was the one house-sitting in my, my house. And I called him, and I said, what, where are you from? What country do you come from? He said, I'm from Venezuela. And God said, there's your country right there. There's your sign. And, and the Lord said, I'm putting it in your house. How close do you want it? And, and the Lord began to, and I said, okay, well, that's good. See, I, I, I'm like Gideon. I want to ask God for signs, you know, because sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we do things. We commit errors and people hold us accountable to it if we say something, you know. So I said, I want to make sure God wants this. So I said, okay, well, that's a good sign. I said, but Lord, Give me another sign to really make sure because I don't want to start talking about this and then, you know, if it doesn't work out. And so I went soul winning that Saturday in my church in Illinois. And uh, they, the pastor, who doesn't have a soul winning partner? 
said, I, I raised my hand. I don't have a soul winning partner. Another, another young man, I don't have one. He said, you, you two, you go together. Go, bye, everybody leave. Go soul winning. So I, I had never met this young man. I said, where, where are you from? He said, I just got in yesterday from Venezuela. I'm from a church. <laughs> and God said, here's your sign again that you're talking about. Here's the fleece. Here's the bowl. Here's the, the sign of Gideon and all this. And I said, you know, he began to talk about where he's from and his church and how he's, he's here to be trained as a pastor and he's, he's seeking help for his church and he wants them to become, you know, a soul winning church and all this. And I said, well, uh, well, talk to your pastor. And, and, and we, we began to plan everything. And I, I went to his church and preached in a revival meeting where we had 1,300 people in August in his church. The other young man who stayed in my home, in fact, he traveled with me and came with me, took me to all his churches and places. We had meetings. One meeting had 1,600 people. And we had different meetings. We had pastor's conferences and, and so forth. And, and we do a lot of this open-air, outdoor style. We would just take a loudspeaker, go to the supermarket. We go to the bus station. We go where there's people crowded and just preach the gospel. The Bible talks about the boldness of the Holy Ghost. The Bible talks about preaching the gospel with boldness. And some of the Venezuelan people, they said, well, we never seen it quite like that. We never done it like that. So, you know, sometimes they're kind of shy and everything. I said, come on, this, this is the way you're supposed to do it. This is the way when, when we have countries like this that have crowds and the people, you know, are, are, are out and about. And this is the way that, that we can do this in a country that is ripe and ready and hopeless and helpless. And so we get them on fire for God. We get the nationals on fire in the country. If you get the nationals on fire for God, they will reach their own country. And so they get motivated. They get stirred up and they will continue to work. I might leave and go somewhere else, but they continue to work. So I returned to Venezuela in December and in the southern region, which is the video that you saw, which is a more tribal village region. We had interpreters because they, had, they speak their own little tribal village languages. And they said, Brother Carlos, we have, have not seen an American missionary here for, for the last six years. And you're the first one who has come. And they're talking, they, they made known to me their, how they're translating the Bible. Very unique. This is modern, modern missions. You know what they do in that village? They, they, they collect everybody's cell phones. And they take it to the Colombian border where they get a little internet signal. They download a software and a little, little interpreter with a, with a laptop and software interpreting the Bible, the New Testament Bible. And, and, and it's through characters. They're not letters like us. Through different characters, they download it into people's cell phones one by one. And then they, he's got to spend a couple, a couple days there doing that. Then they put it and, and take it back to their jungle village, their tribal region. And everybody's got the Bible. They don't have internet in that place, but they have their Bibles downloaded in their cell phones. So, so when we preach, everybody's got their cell phones now in this village, in this tribal village, looking at their cell phones because they're looking at the Bible. And that is the way. They don't have money to, to print the Bible, to have paper and ink in a traditional manner that we would do. They, they don't have money for that. But downloading software is free, you see. And so this is modern mission. This is a very unique situation. And so God is opening a door. And now we're going to this Location called Barquisimeto and another, another place. And we need to stir them and motivate them and encourage them. Why stand ye idle? You know what I'm going to tell the Venezuelan people? The rest of them all say, why stand ye idle? The people are sitting ducks. I'm talking about many of them are not working jobs now. More people have left, have left Venezuela to, to escape 
than they have left Ukraine. In fact, twice as much people have left Venezuela because of the uncomfortable living conditions, the extreme poverty and all this and the hunger. And so a lot of those Venezuelan people, they send money back. Somehow they have different ways of sending money back. And that can keep some people going, you know, to help pay bills or just feed people. But not everybody has somebody like that. Not everybody has. There's some people who they don't have any family to send them any money. And so the people are completely outside doing nothing, just having hunger and starvation. And just. And so this is a time when we need to go and reap the harvest. So why stand ye idle? Do you see? We need to go and finish the job. By the way, we owe it to the American missionaries to make it worthwhile and meaningful. All the money that they, that they use for missions, all the buildings that they built, they're there. All the efforts and all the training of pastors and all the activities and youth camps and everything they've done, it's still there to stay. So let's make it meaningful to say, listen, this country is now about to have a revival. There's no reason... Why? We cannot preach the gospel and, and ignite and, 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 and for pastors to imitate this pattern and start, start preaching and soul winning and just completely reach this country for Christ. The Lord gave us the Great Commission. He expects us to win the world. He wants us to. He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He said, I want you to go and preach the gospel to all nations. So how about, how's the work in the field, maybe in your local area here in this town? Are you sowing the word of God? Are you encouraging people, other people, doing discipleship and watering? Are you doing, uh, uh, the Bible talks about you can get people saved. You know, in the Bible, Ruth is a type of the local New Testament church. Ruth is a type of the bride of Christ. And Boaz is a type of Christ. And the Bible talks about Ruth, how she was gleaning in the fields. And the Bible says, leave the corner. So sometimes here in the United States, maybe we're kind of, Maybe more like a backslidden country now. Maybe we're not, you know, in revival like, like it used to be or like other places. But God will give gleaning. God will give handfuls of purpose. So you're still supposed to be soul winning. You're still supposed to be doing ministry and outreach and, and giving tracts and witnessing to people. And uh, many people might close the door. Maybe they won't listen. But God is going to say, you know, I'm going to give handfuls of purpose. And I'm going to bless this church and I will bring new families and I will build my church, the Lord said. So I want to encourage you to get involved in the harvest. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads for prayer, please, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe today you say, Brother Carlos, the message spoke to my heart tonight. I want to get involved in the harvest. Maybe you just want to increase your soul winning efforts. Maybe you just... Some people, maybe you haven't gone soul winning. Maybe you, haven't, you don't give tracts like you used to. Say, I want to get involved in the harvest. Pray for me. Would you, would you lift your hand? God spoke to me. Thank you. Anybody else say, pray for me. God spoke to me. I want to be involved in the harvest. Maybe in your giving. Maybe in missionary giving. See, that's what we're talking about. The harvest about some give and some go, but these are one. This is an all-encompassing work of a team effort to be united in the Great Commission in the gospel. With heads bowed and eyes closed, Pastor, you come, please. We stand to our feet and the piano begins to play. If God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Are you involved? Either planting or harvesting. There's a great need and the world is dying and going to hell. 
We have the answer. We have the gospel. We have a great responsibility to reach the world with the gospel. As the piano plays, are you involved? We have tracks in the back. You can take them after church. You can hand them out during the week. I encourage you to do that. We have our outreach times that we go out and hit streets and we try and get everyone involved as much as we can because we have a great responsibility right here in Maslin around the world and missions we had our missions month in March and giving to help get the gospel to the many places and countries and around the world If God spoke in your heart, the altar is open. Pray there in your seat. to a close, certainly